just want to come to the psalm we're looking at. It actually ties in um, really with what Mark has been just been sharing already today. Um, and then we're going to come back to some worship. We're going to take a time to worship. We're going to come to communion. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But if you want to turn to Psalm 41... In 1966, a young woman from Croydon arrived by boat in Hong Kong. She began working as a primary school teacher in the squalid and the lawless Kowloon walled city. But she could not ignore the problem faced by those living in this crumbling settlement. Her name, of course, is Jackie Pullinger. It wasn't long before she opened uh, a youth centre in this notorious community. And there were, of course, many people who wondered what she was doing in such a, a filthy and, and just chaotic place. Surely, surely it's just much too dangerous for someone like her. Many years have gone by and the Shatin Rehabilitation Centre now can house up to 200 people. Some of them are in the... In the uh, first stages of drug withdrawal while others have lived there for many many years and this whole community has been built around a gospel foundation with the love of Jesus being demonstrated and preached and, and the, the, the most powerful weapon that they use is prayer but they don't just pray of course they also exercise daily. They play basketball and football, they, they, as well as learn work skills such as English and computing. And, and Jackie Pullinger chose to live in a place that most of us would just simply run from. And, and, and she has loved, she's helped many people, each of them with their own story to tell, but all of them owing just an immense gratitude to her. Most of them coming from a background of addiction, triad membership. Many of them have turned their lives around after meeting her and giving their life to Jesus. One of the men she helped describes how he wanted to get clean. He comments, you can get off drugs quickly, but changing your outlook on life takes a long time. I'm still doing that. At 61 years old, he says, I'm still learning to walk with Jesus, learning how to help people. If it wasn't for Jackie, I'd probably be dead either from drugs, fighting in triads, or in jail. I started with marijuana, then ketamine, then heroin, he said. My father was a triad member and a drug addict. My parents have had split up and, and no one really looked after me. No one cared if I went to school or not. So inevitably, I became a wayward kid, stealing and getting arrested. His probation officer showed him a list of drug treatment centers and he picked the one that was free. Jackie Pullinger's. I didn't know what Christianity was. I thought I was, I was old school, but on that, on that first day I became so emotional because the people trying to help me understood my pain. It was the first time I felt someone understood me. And once he came out and emerged from his drug fog, he realized that he, 
he turned to drugs to avoid thinking about his family problems and was trying to bury his pain. And once he was clean, he began to study. A year later, he got a job in tech support while also volunteering in the center. He now works full-time in the rehabilitation center teaching computer skills. And Jackie Pullinger believes that it is not drugs but addiction that is the core issue. She says people are, are trying to find something to, to stop them, them thinking about something painful. You could be a workaholic husband who doesn't see their family and has become dysfunctional, not caring about anything else. And she built this center to be a place where people could feel safe enough to open up, to face the issues within themselves and to actually confront them in order to find healing in Jesus. Jackie Pullinger saw a need and then she did something about it. I'm not saying that we're all called to do what Jackie Pullinger has, has done, but at the very core of the gospel, we see the loving heart of God. And, and we hear a call for the church, and we've heard it already through what Marcus said, but this call, of the, call for the church to remember the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. And this is the message of the psalm that we're looking at today, is talking about Psalm 41. So let's just begin the first three verses. We read this. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the days of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. And in these first three verses of Psalm 41, we are simply told to consider, to regard, to show kindness to the poor, to the weak, and to the helpless. In fact, we are, we are told that God pours out seven blessings on those who have regard for the weak. But how do we do this? Well, at first glance, David doesn't seem to give us actually any practical help on what we should be doing. But if we take a moment to think about what he's saying, it seems actually fairly obvious that the list of blessings that God gives to those who help the weak are actually the ways in which he wants his people to help others. In other words, the Lord blesses helpers in the way he desires helpers to bless the poor. Let's have a look again at these seven blessings mentioned in these first three verses. Begins, in days of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Now, this is a wonderful promise to God's people. But also, there are times when we, as God's people, we need to take action in order to save others. Secondly, it says, the Lord protects him. And we must do the same. As you look, as you look out, or, or rather, are you looking out for the vulnerable, for the needy, for those that are poor, in order to protect them? 
Thirdly, he keeps him alive. And listen, as we all know, there are life and death situations that may require you to actually take some action. Fourthly, he calls blessing on the land. And yet at the same time as knowing that God is the one who brings blessing on God's people, he is the one who provides all of the blessing. We must be praying for blessing to come over people's lives. We must be praying for blessings into situations and even over old communities. Fifthly, he protects him from his enemies. And once again, we hear this call to stand up to speak out for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Sixthly, the Lord sustains him even when he is sick. And again, this is just really practical, isn't it? If someone is sick, care for them. Do something to help them. Seventhly, the Lord restores him to full health. And throughout all of this, listen, we must never forget to prayerfully expect God to heal. God is the great physician, the healer of our souls, the healer of our bodies. So let us be expectant as we pray that God is going to do something and God's going to answer our, our prayers. And these are the promises that God that, that, that God has given us in order that you would be a blessing to others. And when you help the helpless, you display the glory of our merciful, of our gracious, loving Father in heaven. So we need to open up our eyes. We need to look around. Who are the people around you that need help this morning? Who are you going to bless this week. And this idea of remembering the poor is seen throughout Scripture. But let me just explain the foundation on which it is based. In Exodus, God declares a wonderful promise to God's people. He says, I will make my home among you. Again, we've already heard that spoken out this morning as well. I'm going to make my home among you. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And, and God is ultimately looking for a people who he can take pleasure in and among whom he can dwell. And today God is still building a living, a loving community with Jesus at the center of everything that we do, a place where above all else we belong to him and, and he is our God and we are his people. And this is certainly more than just simply attending church on a Sunday morning. It should influence what we do tomorrow and the day after. It should affect the way in which we connect with the different people that we're going to be meeting this week. But perhaps the nearest this world has ever seen to this being lived out was in the early New Testament church, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. And as we read their story, we discover that they were together not just for a few hours, but they did life together, a close-knit community where we were just passionate for Jesus. In fact, it even says that no one dared to join them or to be associated with them carelessly 
They were, you were either in there or you weren't. It was all or nothing. And this group of people were so connected to one another with such a profound depth that they, and they lived with such grace that no one regarded any of their possessions as they owned. They shared everything together. It was a radical way of living that is so far removed from Western culture that actually most of us cannot even begin to envisage what that must have looked like. For them, their lifestyle went way beyond the cash in their pockets. It affected every part of their life and the lives of others. Caring for the poor is, is not just some sort of add-on that we just tag on to the Christian life. God's compassion for the poor is at the very heart of God's character and His wonderful work of redemption. And we, we see this throughout the Bible. So in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was given just very clear instructions about how to build a generous attitude into their culture and how to care for the poor. And when this was done well, it resulted in the needs of the poor being met. See, a God-fearing Old Testament Jew would give something like 25% of their income to the work of God and to help the poor and the needy. But sadly, all too often they omitted to fulfill their responsibilities and they became better known for their greed and their mistreatment of the poor rather than for helping them. So throughout the Old Testament, we see a cycle of events that is repeated time and again where sin is followed by judgment, and then they come through to repentance. And this all came as a result of Israel's failure to obey God. And part of the reason for this was because they neglected their responsibility to the poor, but they also lusted after foreign gods. They replaced the worship of the one true God with false worship. And then time and again we see that a lack of concern for the poor is a strong indicator of a lack of love for God. And tragically, God's ultimate fury with Israel was not rooted in their lack of religion, but in their failure to care for the poor. And even though prophet after prophet challenged them, ironically, as they were religiously fasting, yet they were also failing to care for the needy and to divide their bread with the hungry. And how you treat others, how you handle your money, is important to God. See, all, that, all you do should honor God, and this begins when you give generously to Him. And when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, there was just this lavish explosion of generosity and kindness among God's people. But for many of the Jews that came to faith in Jesus, life was really, really hard. They were rejected. They were disinherited from their families and friends. They, those that were saved suddenly found themselves with, with nothing. They were instantly poor. No one would employ them. Many of them became homeless. But the response to this was a radical, a spirit-inspired sharing and caring that I mentioned a little bit earlier on, which meant that they give generously to one another. 
This was just a massive welfare work, so much so that the apostles appointed a team of people to administer it properly. They truly believed the gospel. They lived it out, and they preached a message that was amazing good news to the poor and to everyone else. And a church that loves Jesus should be a church that is marked by extraordinary generosity. My friends, we have some way to go. But there's another key lesson that Jesus taught and lived out. You see, Although Jesus showed this huge compassion for those in need, and certainly no one could ever accuse him of withdrawing from this world. In fact, he was accused very often of the opposite, of mixing with sinners, mixing with the outcasts. Yet it was very clear that our investments, our confidence, should, be in, should not be in the passing pleasures of this world, but instead we should be laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And when you give, when you share with others, you're actually storing up for yourself heavenly treasures. 1 Timothy 6.18 tells us to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And being generous actually enables you to take hold of life and to plan wisely for the future. And God has this this extraordinary way of just turning things upside down, of challenging our worldview. He, he wants us to be set free from the independence that money and possessions bring. And he wants us to depend on his wisdom and his provision. And the only way that this can be worked out is in the context of others, his beloved church where kindness and generosity can be expressed and you and I need God's help to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit to live with compassion for the poor and his tenderness to those in need the weak and the vulnerable but actually sometimes we are the ones who are weak Let's have a look at verse 4. David carries on. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to me, he, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. And you... You may not always be in a position or in a place to be able to help the weak, 
because there will be seasons in your life when you will be the weak person and you will need the help of others. And for some of you listening, the thought of that scares you probably more than anything else, because actually you probably are very, very good at helping other people, but very bad at asking for or receiving help and support from someone else. And living as God's people sometimes means acknowledging that you need help, which means allowing others close enough in order to share your pain. It means being vulnerable. And verse 5 to 9, David is weakened. He's under attack from his enemies and his friends. And he wants, they, they want him dead. They're saying all kinds of evil things against him. However, he also admits in verse 4 that he is not entirely innocent himself. And this is not an easy thing to do. He acknowledges that he has sinned against the Lord, and, and this is a huge source of pain for him, because sin and suffering often go hand in hand. In David's situation, David's cry for healing and deliverance is not because he's innocent, but because he has sinned. And, and, and so, what, so what he does about his situation is actually what we should also do in times of trouble. He cries to the Lord for mercy. He throws himself on the gracious heavenly Father. You see, when you are surrounded by people who are attacking you or saying all kinds of evil things against you, we need to remember to look within, to examine our own hearts, to, to recognize any sin that is within us. It's very easy to notice the sin in those that are sinning against us. It's much more difficult to admit our own sin and feelings, which may have contributed to the problem in the first place. But that's where we must begin. We must begin with repentance. We must allow the grace and the love of Jesus to bring forgiveness and, and peace to our troubled souls. Only then will you be able to deal with those who have sinned against you in a, in a godly way. Now, I'm sure most of you know how awful it is when others slander you or ridicule you. But we must make sure that we are not guilty of being the person who ridicules others as well as being the victim. So we need to keep short accounts with God, confess our sins to the one who is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you know that Jesus applies the words of verse 9 to his own experience? of being betrayed by a friend. It's actually recorded for us in John chapter 13 and verse 18. It took place at the last meal that Jesus ate with his disciples before he was betrayed and, and crucified. And as they ate together, he said, he who shared my bread has turned against me. He is quoting from this verse in, in Psalm 41, verse 9, is echoing the sentiment of it. Now, just to make one thing very clear, unlike David, Jesus never sinned. But he did know what it was like to have a friend turn against him. And in, in verse 26, Jesus 
identifies Judas as the one who's betraying him. And he says, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him, it says. Listen to me this morning. Jesus knows your pain. He knows what you're going through. So be encouraged. He knows he knows how you have been let down. He, he knows about the criticism. He, he understands how you're feeling. So before you lash back at someone, pray. Talk to Jesus about it. He knows exactly how hurt you're feeling. And he can bring healing. He can bring comfort to even the deepest of wounds. Because he is the sustainer of the weak. And only Jesus can bring you to a place of healing and a, and a place of peace. So, so then you'll be able to echo the words of David at the end of this psalm, of end of Psalm 41. Verse 11, we read, But this I know that you, that the Lord delights in me. Can you say that? For this I know, the Lord delights in me. If you can't say that yet, keep asking Jesus to help you. To bring healing, perhaps to those wounds, that, that pain that keeps eating you up. Because the Lord delights in you this morning. You need to receive that. But this I know that you delight in me. David goes on. My enemies will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my iniquities and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. You know, those around us may not be. We may not always be, but God is a person of constant and total integrity. And that is why you can come with confidence to him. That is why he will hold you up and he will keep you in his presence forever. Forever. Blessed is the one who remembers the poor. For they have found their delight in the Lord day and night. So from everlasting to everlasting, praise be to the Lord our God. Amen. Let's just stand together. We're going to come back to some worship. We're then going to come and just have communion together. But I want to pray over us. You know, God has called us to be a people who remember the poor. But that only comes out of a heart that loves God first of all.
Do you know him this morning? Have you come to that point where you've asked Jesus to come into your life? To save you, to change you? To change your heart? I'm going to pray a prayer. Perhaps you can pray along with me. Let's all just pray out loud together. Lord Jesus, we come to worship you and adore you. This morning, Lord Jesus, we want to say that you are Lord of all. You're the one who went to the cross and died for my sin. And Lord, I want to receive you into my life. I want to put my trust in you. And I want to walk with you from this moment forward. So Holy Spirit, come. Change my heart. Help me to love as you love. Help me to honor you in all that I do. Amen. Now, if you've if you prayed that for the first time and you've met it, why not come and, and chat with me afterwards and we'll just share a little bit more of what it means to walk with Jesus, to follow him. But we're going to come and worship. We're going to come to breaking of bread in a moment. We're going to celebrate together all that we have done, but also remembering that God has called us to go out there to make a difference, to love the unlovable. So let's worship. Let's honor him.